I love my homeowners association. Said no one ever. Whether you love them or hate them, HOAs are often a part of homeownership and being a potential home buyer. So in this episode, we're going to talk about HOAs and their role in the real estate process. Stay tuned because towards the end, we're going to talk about a recent Arizona Supreme Court ruling that not a lot of people are talking about, and it's aimed towards limiting the power of homeowners associations. Welcome to Journey Through Chaos, a real estate podcast hosted by Adrian Alejandro and Leah Reeder. We co-lead the RA home team of Long Realty Company in Southern Arizona and built a successful real estate business by focusing on providing an exceptional real estate service experience. Our dedication to our clients earned a reputation that ranks us in the top 3% of sales associates nationwide. In this podcast, we'll discuss relevant real estate topics and provide industry insights so you can move confidently towards achieving your real estate goals. Thank you for tuning in. I think it's really important for buyers, you know, we're coming from a point of education for them to understand how HOAs are involved in the home buying process. So what does that really even look like for them? That's right. When... In Sierra Vista, there's not a ton of homeowners associations, although they are becoming more popular, mm-hmm. especially in new construction communities. And in Tucson and in Vail, oh my gosh, they're... So to your point, how does the HOA play a role in the home purchasing process? You know, when, when we're advising buyers that are purchasing a home or thinking about purchasing a home in an HOA, we really want to know why they're purchasing the property. That is the number one thing for us because we want to protect their interests and ensure that enough research and due diligence is done regarding what they want to do. You know, we've had hand radio people that have wanted to put up antennas, right? (laughs) And then the CCNRs were like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but that is really from an education standpoint and from advising our buyers, we spend a lot of time and energy into that, just making sure that the HOA aligns with what the the buyer wants to use the property for. So like number one question we get is, well, what are CCNRs? Right. right. We use all these acronyms. We'll throw it out there And sometime. they have no like, idea. Have you read the CCNRs? They're like, <laughs> what in the world is a CCNR? Right. So it stands for Covenant Conditions and Restrictions. And these are essentially the rules put in place by the homeowners association. Mm-hmm. And they talk about all of the, the structure of the HOA. It'll talk about voting rights, you know, how often they hold their committee meetings. Um, but most importantly, what most people care about, it's all the rules I got to follow. Like how often do I have to pull my weeds or when can I put my trash can <laughs> on the road? You know, that's the stuff that a lot of people care about, but that's ultimately all contained in the CCNRs. And in Arizona, we use a special addendum whenever a buyer is purchasing a home in an HOA. And that addendum requires certain disclosure related information to be provided to the buyer in the transaction process. And then the most important part of that is once the buyer receives that information, they have five days regardless of whether or not they're in their inspection period, they have five days to review the information, digest it, and make sure they're comfortable moving forward with the purchase. And there's a lot of information disclosed on there, right? So it's 
not just who the company is, but it's also contact information. So, right. you know, the seller's going to provide as much information as they know. Um, but it could be a family member that's selling the property and they may not be aware of all the details of the company email or phone number. So whatever information is provided, then it's up to the buyer to kind of dig a little deeper, right? Make right. some phone calls and get some questions answered ahead of time. Um, but they also get a lot of information, right? Don't they get all this information during the process from the HOA? Yeah, that's all part of this thing called a, an HOA demand resale packet, basically. Right. And it includes recent profit and losses of the HOA. It'll talk about reserves. How much cash is the HOA sitting on in case something major happened in the community that they needed to say it had a pool and there was a big problem with the pool. You know, do they have the funds necessary to make those improvements? Um, it talks about whether or not there's any current HOA violations on the property specifically that the buyer is purchasing. And then it also talks about whether or not there's any pending litigation, whether or not the HOA itself is involved in any pending litigation. You know, mm -hmm. that's all disclosable and important information to a prospective buyer. And I know that as agents who are representing a client who is looking to purchase in an HOA, we definitely encourage them to look through that and to read through that. And if we notice any severe issues, we will point them out because most buyers are inundated with so much paperwork and right. so much information during that home buying process. They get this packet, usually emailed from the HOA, and they're just like, okay, yeah, that's great. Right. <laughs> they just file it away. Oh, I have to sign right here saying I received it. <laughs> okay, done deal. Right. Tell me where to send this. And then it's usually after closing or at the closing table where you know an issue is brought to their attention. And by that time, it's usually too late to do anything about it. Right. So um, it's important that they read through that information um, and ask questions when they get it, when they receive that packet. Right, exactly right. You know, I wanna talk just briefly about some of the fees that could be involved with HOAs and the transfer of ownership in a real estate transaction. So typically there's a couple different fees that can be negotiable. There's capital improvement fees, and we define those fees as fees that are paid typically by the buyer into an HOA as like a one-time buy-in and those funds are then used to do future improvements to the subdivision, right? Like if they wanna install street lights or speed bumps or something like that. And then there's also an HOA transfer fee, which is really just like an administrative fee, <laughs> a way for HOAs to make money. You know, it, it can be, it can be high. I've heard horror stories of condominium complexes that charge over a thousand dollars for mm -hmm. just the HOA transfer fee. And you know, all that stuff's digital. Right. Like they're just like, Oh, Betty is selling to Tom enter. And like, that's it. Right. Pay me my thousand dollars. Here you go. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's important to note. The other thing that's important to note is if there are any special assessments in an HOA, now, a special assessment is when the HOA typically doesn't have the money to do a major improvement within the subdivision, and they will charge a special assessment to all of the homeowners in there. Mm -hmm. And read those CCNRs carefully because that's where they're given the power to do that. Uh, you see that a lot with like road paving. Yep. Uh -huh. if, a, if a neighborhood's gated. Yep. Yep. Roads are privately maintained. 
And so what a special assessment is, is on top of your monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, annual dues, you also have to pay this additional expense over a certain period of time, typically years, and that portion of the fee called a, a capital improvement fee or a, a special assessment is used to make the improvement. Mm -hmm. um, so these are the kinds of things that we look out for when we're representing our buyers that are purchasing a home in a, a homeowners association. Yeah. But there's some pros and cons to living in an HOA. 100%. Obviously, that's what kind of draws people to them. I would say some of the pros would be that you know you've got a little bit more of community connection. People, I think, exude some community pride when they live in an HOA that they like. Right. Um, oftentimes, the rules and regulations, these CCNRs, are designed to deter you know what some may consider like nuisance activity. Right. Um, and I think that for the most part, you've got well-maintained properties. Everybody's following the same rules. Um, oftentimes there's amenities right. in the neighborhoods where in other communities, you're not gonna have amenities because you gotta have money coming in yep. to provide those amenities. That's right. Um, and then in terms of property values, you usually have like a similar design, a feel like to the community. Even if the homes aren't cookie cutter, they're still like a, a vibe, a similar feeling or, or like a design to the to a flow to the community. Correct. Yep. Um, and sometimes they're gated, so there's like that additional security factor that some neighborhoods have too. Um, so I, I feel like those are definitely some pros. Yeah, and that all impacts the value. Mm -hmm. You know, some subdivisions have that feel that you were talking about. That's mm -hmm. why people want to live there and they're willing to pay a premium in order to live there. And really what maintains that ambiance is the homeowners association right so 100 there's there are benefits to being in a homeowners association mm -hmm. and then i would say you know some of the most common regulatory you know rules that we've seen have been you know right limits on paint color um, in fact i think we even had one client who during new construction process they changed the paint color palette on them mid construction build and they actually had to go and fight for the original color that they wanted because it was right. no longer on the new color palette. Right. They won. That was Thank great. Thank goodness. Could you imagine <laughs> you're building your dream home, custom home, you have the colors picked out, it's everything you wanted, and then all of a sudden, midstream, after the decisions have already been made, the HOA comes out and says, hey, sorry, we actually changed that. I know your neighbor's house has painted that color, but you're not gonna be able to paint your house that color anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that was yeah, that was very stressful for yeah, them. Oh my gosh! But they they, they ended up winning, so yeah. that was good. Um, they got a variance for their color selection, um, but egg, they control typically landscaping in the front yard. Yep. Right? They want to approve that. Um, oftentimes, it'll be things like lighting. You know, some of them are part of like dark sky communities where they don't want lighting to go you know outward. They want to keep that night nice night skies um, structures what kind of structures, additional ancillary structures you can build on the home, right. um, RVs, trailers. That's a huge one. Yeah. That's something we deal with all the time. Right, if you want an RV, it's gotta be in a garage, otherwise it can't be there. Right. Um, what's visible from the road or from your neighbors, so if it's shown, if, if there's anything that can be seen above the block wall, it can't be there. So it can be anything from strung lights to play sets. Yep, pergolas, you know. sheds. Yeah. Yeah, you name it. Yeah. 
Um, and then we've seen, you know, animals. So not just, hey, you can't have chickens, but even with domestic pets, you can only have two dogs or two cats or, you know, so we've seen some interesting regulations there. Or standard, you know, what are considered standard domestic animals, hmm. right? They'll just like this pigs? broad potbelly <laughs> pig story. That's, that's a story for another time, but that was an HOA I lived in. and. They decided to use some very broad language to define what kind of pet you could have. And yeah. so, you know, we snuck Chloe in there and the neighbors were cool. And uh, we had a potbelly pig that was now a domestic animal and fit within the, okay. the CCNRs of the She used a doggy door. She walked on a leash. 100%. Kids loved her. Yep. Oh, gosh. And then we've seen, I think, some rules that are a little, like, I think are a little more intrusive. Yep. You know, so... The, the ones we just talked about are a little broader. They kind of control the subdivision, if you will, common spaces. But then we've seen some that literally tell you you can't park in your own driveway. And right. you can't have your garage door open for longer than 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, and even as far as what your garage has to look like yeah. you know, when the garage door is open, you can't, it has to be organized a certain way yeah. or what you can do in your backyard even if it can't be seen over the wall like what has to be in your backyard or what can't be or you have to get your landscaping plans approved mm -hmm. um and we've seen horror stories on both sides of the coin right right we've had a, a homeowner who absolutely didn't want an hoa and then ended up next to a neighbor that completely trashed their front yard right mm -hmm. I mean, broken down cars, parted cars, uh, really wrecked RVs. I mean, they just didn't have any pride of ownership whatsoever. And so that is gonna negatively impact your property value. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, that that's one side of the coin. And then we had another client where I would say their home was located in a more aggressive homeowners association. And at the closing table, we were representing the seller. They all of a sudden told the buyer, hey, by the way, you're gonna have to paint all the fascia within 12 months. Mm -hmm. And it was nowhere in the original disclosure packet that they sent during the transaction. And the buyer had no clue until the closing, like literally sitting at the closing table and the escrow officer was like, oh, hey, I have to have you sign this one thing. From the HOA and he's like what you gotta be kidding me mm -hmm. like how do you know it's 12 months how do you know it's not gonna be 11 months or 13 months exactly. or you know that's where it starts to get like just tell me if I need to paint now or not don't predict into the future and say well you're gonna you know by the shade of the color you're gonna have to paint by mm -hmm. you know it starts to get a little weird there yeah I would say the one statement I think that's probably true for any HOA is people feel if they if they join if they decide to live in one it's usually that feeling of well you can't pick your neighbor right no matter where you live but at least if you live in an HOA you know that you're all following the same rules right so that's kind of the bonus to living in an HOA and I think in real estate where we're really starting to see some HOAs overstepping their boundaries um, or overreaching um, maybe becoming creating some regulations that are a little more intrusive is in the rental aspect. That's right. 
And, you know, of course, we always want to take this information and relate it back to real estate and the transaction. And the biggest thing that we see consistently HOAs regulate are rentals mm -hmm. uh, in some fashion, right? They, they regulate, you know, what rules the tenants have to follow, what information about the tenant has to be provided to the HOA. Um, you know, some of them require inspections at certain frequencies um but the number one thing that we see regarding rentals oh. is the term right yes. like how long the lease term has to be right and that has been really put into place since short-term rentals have become so popular right and Short-term rentals are really defined as anything less than a year, but when we talk about short-term rentals, we're really talking more about that VRBO, Airbnb, can I rent out my house on a, you know, daily. Typically less than 30, typically less than 30 days. 100%. Yeah. Yep. And some of that language that we see very often in the CCNRs say, lease terms cannot be less than one year. I've seen that. Mm -hmm. More common, I say, I see lease terms cannot be less than 30 days. Right. And that's how they kind of block out the, the really short-term mm -hmm. rental uh, idea in there. So when we work with a lot of investors, so if investors are interested in a short-term rental strategy within a community that has an HOA, that is also another point where we have to work very closely with them. And not even not even investors, but even just everyday, you know, Jill's, Joe's, you know, mom and pops who want to have a second home, you know, maybe they've got a, a property back east somewhere or in another state and they say, man, I really love to spend part of my time in Arizona, but when I'm not here, I would love to be able to, you know, create some revenue right. from that. And the best way to do that is typically to have some sort of short-term rental opportunity. And there's so many creative ways that you can run short-term rentals remotely, or you can even hire managers to manage them for you. Um, and we're seeing so many restrictions on that now. Yep. And I think a lot of that kind of stemmed from you know 2016 when Governor Ducey basically said, you know, that he would not allow local or state municipalities or you know any kind of restrictions on short-term rentals unless it created a health or safety hazard. Right. There weren't going to be. He wasn't going to allow regulations specifically targeting short-term rentals. Correct. And that's really when we saw HOAs step up and start to amend their rules and regulations, their CCNRs, targeting uh, the short-term rental market. Yep. And they're like, hey, well, here's a here's kind of a loophole for us mm -hmm. because we have this power in the CCNRs and mm -hmm. we can amend the CCNRs. And as long as we have enough people on board to do that, then you know we could we could basically regulate these away right. of our out of our subdivision or out of our community. Right. So what just happened? Oh man, man. <laughs> something but, big happened. But there was a bomb dropped in March yep. <laughs> <laughs> on HOAs specifically, uh, and it really did target. It it was for regulations at, at a whole um, for HOAs, but I think that it really is going to impact short term rentals specifically. Right. So you should definitely tell them like what what happened in March yep. of so this year. Lee is talking about the Calway case. Uh, so if you're interested in looking it up, it's K-A-L-W-A-Y. 
and that was versus the Calabria Ranch HOA. And as Leah mentioned, it was a case not related to short-term rentals. It was related to more of the, the over step or the, the power of a homeowners associations through their amendatory process, being able to amend the CCNRs. For those of you who are listening, retroactive when it comes to law means that it applies backwards all the way into the past, mm -hmm. which means if an HOA published the original CCNRs in 1970, mm -hmm. every single amendment since the original CCNRs could be in question if they don't follow this new guidance. Correct. And so there's one part that I want to make clear. If in the original CCNRs it was a topic that was discussed, then the normal voting rules would apply to amend it. So I'm not saying that, or we're not sitting here saying that all amendments are invalid. Correct. We're just specifically saying if it wasn't mentioned, if it really wasn't talked about in the original CCNRs, there may be a case to invalidate that amendment. And where it applies for us in such a big way is short-term rentals or rentals in general. Okay. We just recently ran into an HOA that doesn't allow any rentals whatsoever, right. which is crazy. That's a huge, for any purchaser making that decision, you never know what's gonna happen with life. Like life may change and they're basically taking your rental option completely off the table. They actually just sent out a newsletter amongst the neighbors, almost celebrating the fact that the last renter in that neighborhood had just moved out. That's crazy. And so, and the, that original, the original CCNRs in that neighborhood were drafted in the early 80s. That's right. So who knows if, you know, the amendments, you know, I think that that's probably an original, um, I think, CCNR that's going to be worth probably looking at at some point and seeing if rentals were mentioned originally or if that's something that just evolved over time with the homeowners that ended up purchasing in there. That's right. Um, and an idea that just sparked and said, you know, it'd be great to not have any rentals in here. Right. It'd be very curious because we don't have access. You know, that's something you have to dig a little deeper um, and get from the county. But I, I think that this ruling is, it's going to put a lot of buyers and homeowners' minds at ease because we have seen for quite some time, unfortunately, some power-hungry HOAs. Some of them are, are governed locally, right, within the community themselves, but some of them are just management companies. Right. And they're not even local. They're, you know, from another city, sometimes another state. So I think that it's important for the neighbors, the, the people that live in these communities to understand that they're, um, they are protected in a way. Right, 100%. And, and so I just wanna make one more point for short-term rentals, right? If short-term rentals or rentals were not mentioned in the original CCNRs and the HOA went and amended the CCNRs to now exclude or limit short-term rentals and did not have 100% of the homeowners vote to approve that amendment, you may want to talk to a real estate attorney. Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's not our job to sit here and say what, what's valid and what's not valid. That's above our pay grade, but holy cow. I haven't hear, heard enough people talking about it, even within the real estate community. No. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. And that is a huge deal yeah. that just happened. It's, and it impacts our 
industry in a big way because we deal with so many sellers and buyers who are, we've got buyers who literally tell us that I'm looking for neighborhoods specifically that will allow me to have a short-term rental. Right. And we have to, it's our job to find those pockets. Right. And right? say, hey, well, I can't advise you to do this, but you may want to talk to an attorney because even though the CCNR say you can't have a short rental, short-term rental in here, you may be able to. Right. Exactly. So exactly. I hope that you found this educational and we appreciate as always you hanging out with us. You know, if, if you like the content that you're seeing here, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, you know, don't forget to bring your trash cans in and pull your weeds. And until next time, <laughs> take care.